Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Joe, we are back in Newport Beach for episode 16 of season two, The Blaze of Glory, or as I've decided to call it, The Deaning of Alex. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I really hope that the Gilmore guys listen to us one day. At least Kevin, Demi might like just say, nah, man, too cool. But like, we'll get there. But my God, like the OC, the OC has no ability to just let two people in a relationship part in a normal way. They always have to find it, find a way to villainize whoever's not part of the core four Mm -hmm, amongst mm -hmm. these teenagers. And like it goes half the time. It goes against everything that we know about this character up until this point. And man, is that like a driving force of this episode, which I must say now, really like this episode despite all of those problems because it's just dumb. It's a dumb, fun episode to me. But let's dive into it. Seth Cohen. I'm actually going to read this note verbatim. Seth Cohen is confident that everything is back to the way it was last year, which does not say much for character development since he's mostly correct. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there must have been like a long break in like a long rest in between because it was a lot of the like cold open exposition of like last year was last year. Things time is moving by so quickly. Like what? the heck why what are we doing like we it's it's insane like the things that are happening are insane so seth is back with summer so he's convinced that he has to get ryan and marissa back together Mm -hmm. so that everything goes back to the way it was last year uh so that's the storyline we've got going with them sandy is turns out to be obsessed with carter who is the guy Kirsten's working with, and it's kind of like a will she, won't she with this Carter guy. Yeah. And the fact I love that Sandy is obsessed with Carter, and that is the only thing I love about this stupid storyline. <laughs> like it is it is such a waste of everything. 
everything. Yeah, why why are we doing it? Why? What are we talking about? Why are we doing this? No. Yeah. None of it makes sense. Carter is a fucking douchebag. Like, it's not even like I could maybe understand being interested in Rebecca, but like Carter, the second that like Carter's just like drunkenly listening to the Pixies in the middle of the afternoon, I'm just like this is this is who you might leave Sandy Cohen for, Kirsten. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Kirsten, you dumb bitch. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like, what are you talking about? Like, it's it's insane. Thankfully, not much happens with that plot line in this episode. Like, it's literally that Carter bails on a meeting. Kirsten confronts him. Sandy mentions that he was a writer in one of his absolute favorite magazines in college. And Kirsten asks to borrow one of those magazines to put in Carter's mailbox to kind of remind him that he used he to give a shit. He was a good man once. Yeah, you were once good. That's all. Like, we can just move right past that subplot for the rest of this episode because that's all that really happens there. This episode is way more focused on the teens. Yes. And we'll dive into and that. The but we do of it. Alex. God, I, but we, I missed that. We do have to talk about Julie Cooper, though. Julie Cooper Nickel right now? Yep. Sorry, sorry. Julie Cooper Nickel. Uh, so she does say that she shot the porn in the 80s. I did some quick research. The Born Identity was published in 1980. I still don't believe that they would have made a porn parody based on a obscure sci-fi novel, but whatever. Yeah. I guess that plot hole isn't as gaping as I thought it was. <laughs> um <laughs> Not gaping. <laughs> it means a gaping plot different. hole in this porn subplot. It means something different <laughs> for homos, but you knew exactly what was going on. So nope, I caught you. on. And while all this is happening, she hires Sandy to kind of go and confront Lance and figure out what Lance wants or needs. Um, and essentially, what it comes down to is is Sandy's like. We will buy this off of you. Mm-hmm. That's that's where we get at this point. And Daddy Cohen throwing around the monies. Yep. Da- Daddy Cohen saying, we will take care of this. My favorite line actually comes from Julie Cooper in this, though. So Julie Cooper uh, is trying to call Marissa to mm-hmm. get Marissa to move back in. Mm-hmm. And Marissa hangs up on her. And she goes, she's such a little me, uh, <laughs> which, is, yes. which is a fantastic line. And I will say that after Julie and Sandy have a conversation and Sandy tells her, sometimes it's not the message that's the problem. It's the messenger. Mm-hmm. And she goes and she works with Ryan. That was probably the first moment I truly saw some of the humanity that you see in Julie Cooper. I'm telling you. Um, She's not she's now, not all I, bad. I will say that it is very bizarre knowing for a fact that Marissa does not make it to season 4 listening to all these conversations about we have to do this. We have to save Marissa from the path that she's from on. From her future. Do, yeah, from her future. <laughs> I'm like, her future dying. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. She ain't graduating. Yeah. Um <laughs> but, but like but here so on that note, right? Like how it it kind of also see this is why like sometimes spoilers 
sometimes I really don't mind spoilers and sometimes I really do. But in this instance, I think that like it kind of, you have to have a good mindset about it because if this entire time and from season one where like Marissa has her, um, Marissa has her OD experience, right? From like season one, it's the whole thing is Julie Cooper trying to protect her daughter from making bad decisions and at some in some cases really being concerned that her daughter's gonna fucking die right so then we know that she dies at the end she dies somewhere in season three doesn't make it to season four and at that point it's like what how does this how does that affect julie right for you i'm saying this more for you matt as a framing device for as we continue on how does this affect julie knowing that like she did fail yeah let me ask you a couple questions joe okay and uh and i'm asking these well ahead of time this is going to be the most we openly discuss a known spoiler for me sure but i'm i'm very curious Mm -hmm. and it's going to be a multi-layered question here okay listening listening Now, now if i understand correctly the killing off of marissa had a lot more to do with Misha Barton than it did with that being the storyline, right? Like they, Mm -hmm. so here's my question. If, if that is true, do you think that Marissa dying was always somewhere in the end game of the OC regardless? Oh, no, no, like you don't think that that was going to be maybe the final episode was like, okay. So you think this was, this was 100%, fuck, we need to get rid of this actress, so yeah. we're just going to kill the I character. I think that, like, I think they did it because they knew that they could, given how gag-worthy the season finale of two is, which is okay. also kind of a spoiler. You maybe... Yeah, I know about that, yeah. thanks to the Lonely Island. Yeah, but... so, you know, again, it's kind of gag-worthy because of that, and so it makes... It makes sense. It's also kind of a, you know, from a like writer standpoint or an ego standpoint, how can we top ourselves uh, from the previous finale? And so I I honestly think that at the very least, they were endgame until they weren't. Like they were going to be endgame until they weren't. But for all intents and purposes, I actually like how Ryan ends up, uh, how Ryan's story wraps up in the series finale. Okay. Which doesn't, I mean, and, and I mean, I'm obviously sure that it's doesn't fine, include but... Marissa. So yeah. Well, you know, that could be a spoiler. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> maybe I was thinking him and the ghost hook up or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a series wrap. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump into the Seth and the, the all of the children. All of the children here. Um, so Seth decides to convince Marissa that Ryan should be the person to help with this homecoming bond or this pep rally bonfire. Um, and his reasonings are he was a construction worker doing honest to goodness labor and he burned down a house once before. Mm-hmm. He knows how to burn things down. Yeah, I have to give a genuine shout out to Adam Brody on a perfect acting performance at Seth attempting to look intimidating. Mm-hmm. Marissa says, this is actually a really good idea. Thank you, Seth. And he says, don't mention it. Seriously especially to summer and then he he tries to make an intimidating face and it's such a fail 
And it is the beautiful work of Adam Brody truly knowing how much of a loser Seth Cohen truly is that he can't pull off intimidating. It made me laugh so hard. Um, Marissa accidentally spills the beans a little bit talking to Summer uh, with another line that I laughed at where she (laughs) tells Summer, can you tell Seth not to call me Coop ever again? He kind of ruined the nickname for me. (laughs) I just love how much Seth is just nothing. Um, But Marissa and Ryan sit down. They plan out how they're going to do this bonfire. And this is when Alex uh, stakes out the house, essentially, and throws a beer can at Ryan and gets all up in his face. And she is so unhinged. And it does not, for one second, match the cool, calm, collected, like borderline no strings attached attitude of Alex all the way up until this point. It's it is so infuriating. And for those of you who don't know what we're saying, for if you're listening to this podcast and you've never listened to the Gilmore guys, in the first season, we meet a character named Dean. And Dean is, by all intents and purposes, the perfect boyfriend for our main character of Rory Gilmore until they decided that it was time for there to be a different boyfriend. And then within a season, all of the traits that you associate it with Dean completely change. Where you first meet him, he's this will well read, like bookish, like kind of laid back dude. Now he's like this overly jealous, never reads, like borderline illiterate yeah. doofus. He's not going to college, and, so he's dumb. <laughs> yeah. And so they coined on the show, Gilmore Guys the deaning of something whenever they take a character and just like completely change them for the purposes of moving the plot along. And this episode is just 40 minutes of them deaning Alex to get her to break up with Marissa so that like, we're supposed to feel fine about it. It's so strange. And it's like, it almost feels rushed. Like there was, Literally the last episode, we were talking about how over Marissa's bullshit Alex seemed just when it came to like conversations about rent and plans and like all of that other stuff. Like it, there was already like a natural way that you could just have Alex break up with Marissa because Marissa is an irresponsible bad girlfriend. Yeah. But I guess <laughs> because in Marissa their, is Marissa. <laughs> Because Marissa's Marissa, but I guess in their writers' minds, it's like, no, we can never, Marissa can never actually be the the reason for the breakup, and thus, we must actually make Alex be the person that everyone's like, boo, break up with her, Marissa. Like, I, I can, and, and maybe it's just by being 38 and watching and, like, just being able to see the strings on all the puppets at this point, mm-hmm. but it's just, it. It bums me out because this episode, besides that, is really fun and goofy. There's so many funny lines. Um, when they're setting up for this bonfire, I love that Ryan yells out, dude, with the gas cans, move away from the fire. What's wrong with you? <laughs> like, It's just, it, it feels like such a loose, fun episode, which is usually the case whenever it's like, we've got to organize this thing at the school. Like Those okay. episodes are always so loose and fun. But every single time Alex showed up, I was just bummed because I like Alex and this isn't fucking Alex. No, it's not considering how like swiftly they get like they're trying to get rid of her. Like it just it's so irrational. 
because yeah. because they make her out to be this like cool figure the entire like the entire series up to now but like and the way that i can see the justification for the change is the fact when like um is the fact when she goes to seth and she's like you know i've never like i i've fallen really hard for this girl yeah and it's like oh yeah so and and I mean, I've definitely been there when you fall hard from someone and then you like all reason kind of goes out the door. It kind of looks like this a little bit. Yeah. But again, like. But this is Ryan. Like, this isn't like a total stranger. Like, she went on a date with Ryan at one point. Yeah. Let us not forget, beginning of this season, they went on a terrible first date together and have continued to be friendly. He kept her lesbian girlfriend a secret for a little bit like yeah. there's no reason to it she knows ryan well enough to know that he's not doing anything nefarious and that's yeah. like what becomes really frustrating another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 921 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. Let's talk about some music, Joe. That's So this episode had a shit ton of music, actually. It kicks off... With the song "Meantime" by the Future Heads, mm-hmm. uh, when Marissa finally asks Ryan for his help, uh, Brandon Benson's "What I'm Looking For" starts playing. Uh, when Kirsten shows up at Carter's house, he's blasting "Debaser" by the Pixies. When Sandy goes to meet up with Lance, he's blasting the Scorpions' "Rock Me Like a Hurricane." Uh, when Alex first tries to fight Ryan, AFK's "Pinback" is playing. Uh, when Alex and Cooper finally break up, Joseph Arthur's A Smile That Explodes is playing. And finally, when Cooper and Ryan light the fire, Feeder's Frequency is playing to end out the episode. Um, Joe, if you ask me, there's only one option in this, and it is Rock You Like a Hurricane <laughs> blasting out of Lance's hotel room when Sandy Cohen walks up to the front door. See, I I initially was going to go with the Pixies song just because like that whole scene, you know, that whole scene besides the deaning of Alex makes no freaking sense at all. Yeah. Especially cuz it's like he was like when the assistant in the in the previous scene was like he was slurring. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, "No, this doesn't really make sense." And then you have um and then, but like, then immediately after, you know, Rocky Lair Hurricane. So, yeah, you're like, it's totally the song because it's so unexpected. It's, like, it's so unexpected. And, Joe, spoiler alert for next week, 
we probably won't do this segment next week because I guess they spent so much money on Rocky Like a Hurricane. There's a single song in next week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they no no expenses spared to get that Scorpion song in the background of that scene. Um, man, it's been a while since we've agreed on the song of the episode. Uh, and now the final segment, pop culture promo, baby. What is something that is pop, pop, popping in pop culture that you want to talk about? Um, well, first, let's, I think this is the first episode that we're able to address it. The writer's strike is over. Writer's strike is over. Actor's strike is still happening at the time of this recording. Um, probably will still be happening at the time of this release, but all things that I've heard seem to be that it's looking good. Like, I think it's looking like that's wrapping up soon. Yeah. So I feel confident, especially with how much we uh, front load a lot of the time that we can, we can probably safely assume that by like the next couple episodes that things will be done. So we'll see. Um, we'll see. Hopefully fingers crossed. I mean, the I'm not sure if you read what the writers got with that, they got deal, but they got everything. Yeah. It was basically everything. So if they're if they're willing to play ball with that, and I think the actors are as, actually asking for a a lot less in most terms. The the actor strike is almost exclusively about hey, like AI don't and... don't AI my face onto shit um, without me knowing about it. Without me knowing about it. So I, I'm hoping that that will be a much easier. Conclusion, but who knows? I won't put it past any studios, but I will promote some things from studios regardless because I've been holding on this one since July when the writer's strike first hit. Um, Across the Spider-Verse might be the best film of the year. Uh, It is phenomenal. It doesn't feel like a two and a half hour cartoon, which is a huge compliment in my mind. Sure, sure. Um, And it's great. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Most of you have probably already seen it. I don't think that this is... uh, New information. I also haven't seen the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which I'm told is the only thing that's a competitor for the best movie of the year against mm-hmm. Spider Verse. Because, man, these like CGI or is it claymation weird animated movies are just always home runs in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines is still gunning for my favorite film of the entire 2020s. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, all of that to say, right? Thank good goodness for the writers. I'm I'm really excited about something as we're recording this. We're in the middle of the spooky season. And so I got so flipping excited, Matt, for the trailer for Thanksgiving. Yeah. By Yeah, that dropped. Eli Roth. Um because I'll it, tell you my my first complaint, why not just re-release the fake trailer from fucking Grindhouse because you already had my money. I didn't need to see what the actual movie was going to look like. No, yeah, sure. So it's like I, but like it's it looks it looks fun. Like it's it probably going to be awful, but it looks like a lot of fun. Um, I haven't watched it yet, just because we haven't. You know, this is coming out in October. I haven't watched it yet, but everybody that I know is saying that Totally Killer is like incredible really have you, have you seen the trailers for that no that's the kiernan shipka one right yeah where she's time travel she time travels into a 90s slasher film essentially 
Oh, no, no, no. I've not seen that one. Uh, apparently, I've seen like seven different people be like, 10 out of 10, this is what like a good slasher movie is all about. Like Everyone's comparing it to some of my favorites of the last couple of years. Like It's got that happy death day, final girls vibe. Sure. So I am... I am all on board. That's definitely going to be something I'm going to try to watch in the coming weeks as we are, as you said, in the spookiest of spooky seasons. Well, that was really short. You know what? I'm going to throw one more thing out there because I think that this album deserves so much more attention than it's gotten this year. Did you know Kesha put out an album this year? Uh, Yeah, it's the one where she looks like she's getting suffocated. Yeah, Gag Order. Yeah, but I've not listened to it. It's amazing joe and like i don't know where i would rank it amongst the kesha albums in general Mm -hmm. this was produced by rick rube uh rick rubin and i was reading about kesha talking about working with rick rubin she said rick rubin sat her down and was just like stop trying to write singles just write what you're feeling and this is like easily uh as personal as rainbow is if not more uh and really kind of starts to dabble into like a lot more of like that art pop sound like i would say like Mm. it almost feels more like a melanie martinez record at points than kesha where it's just like sparse creepy instrumentals and her just singing very softly and like it's a fucking fantastic album uh, and I feel like nobody has talked about it <laughs> since it came out. Uh, I had to order it online. I went to like four different record stores and no one had it in stock. So uh, go listen to this new Kesha album. It's phenomenal. It's great. It's easily my favorite album of the year. Um, I'm also a diehard Kesha fan, so I, I might be slightly biased, but whatever. I, I would say this episode didn't go out in a blaze of glory <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Much like, much like the uh, the Wicker Man, this kind of went out with with a whipper. But but we will be back next week, and things are looking pretty grim next week as we enter into season two, episode seventeen, the Brothers Grimm. listening to the Geekscape Network.